This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. First of all, I want to say the book, y'all keep buying the shit out of Save Yourself. And I really appreciate it because what the heck else was I supposed to do? Uh, It's been an utter joy uh, to see all of your posts. I saw many, many posts, many with cats. Y'all seem to pose a book near a cat is what I have learned from all of your tagged posts. Anyway, I really appreciate it. I see them. And please, please continue. Especially if you are going to buy from your independent booksellers, or you can go to bookshop.org, or you can go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, buy the book there as a hard copy, or libro.fm as an audiobook, and benefit your indie bookseller. Mine here in LA is Skylight Books, so if you don't know who your indie bookseller is, why don't you use mine? Um, Today's podcast is a chat with actor... Eve Lindley. Eve is on the really interesting and um, very beautiful to watch uh, new show, A uh, Dispatches from Elsewhere on AMC. It's not called AMC on Dispatches from Elsewhere. It's called Dispatches from Elsewhere on AMC, where she stars alongside um, Jason Siegel and Andre 3000 and Sally Field. And I caught Eve at home. We had a little bit of a technical issue where she was unable to record on her end. Also, there is construction outside and a low-flying helicopter right now. Look, everybody is working from home. We're doing the best we can. Um, So Jordan, our tireless engineer, has done a great job of trying to make this the most usable audio uh, possible. A round of applause for Jordan, please. Thank you. And uh, please enjoy my chat with Eve. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah. I'm hi. I'm Eve Lindley. Uh, I'm an actress, and uh, I play Simone on Dispatches from Elsewhere right now. Yes. Uh, yes, you do. Um, is that which an is okay introduction? which is like? Which I say it again? Is that an okay introduction? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I just think it's kind of. Um, very cool to hear people uh, talk about themselves, and so I uh, I like to hear how people describe what's going on for them. So yes, you are in um, Dispatches from Elsewhere, which is on AMC. And um, when did it? When was it released? Can you give me like a month? Um, uh, March first. <laughs> 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 Crap, slash amazing, you know? I mean, it's, I think, a very interesting and specific experience to um, be promoting a project that is finished right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's something about it that feels really, um, like, now is not the time for you to be, like, having your moment. But then there's also 
I mean, one thing that I'm like really happy about, um, I'm just like really proud to have something out there in the world right now that mm-hmm. people like actually watch and actually, you know, hopefully enjoy um, and like feel a little bit freer. <laughs> yeah, I also, you know, I heard you say, now is not the time to have your moment, but does this, is otherwise, does this feel like this was your moment? Like, is this the moment that you were gunning for and waiting for? This, I mean, the moment already happened. Like, getting on set was the moment for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, I've never really thought about, you know, like, I mean, I guess I have. I don't know. But for me, the moment already kind of happened. It was (laughs) several months ago. Um, Yeah. Can you talk to me about that? What, What your experience of essentially reporting to set was like and and how that felt like your moment? Um, Yeah. I mean, I just remember sort of like really being excited about like working with my cast and, um, you know, feeling like part of the team with everyone and, you know, getting to know the crew. And um, yeah, I mean, that was sort of, that's like the, you know, the dream, so to speak is like, yeah be working (laughs) yeah well I also I mean it struck me um and you know this is like maybe me putting this on you so I don't know you can tell me if it felt real it's like the title credits um it's it's uh every actor getting like their own uh title card and these are people who are very established that are your castmates and then you get your own title card which is like right there in the group of people i just mean like sally field is like established you know what i mean like she's like she's like um (laughs) she's like made it or whatever you know like it's yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah no it's it's like a it's it was definitely a pinch me moment i mean i remember also when they announced it like they announced Mm. me richard and sally at the same time and i was just like (laughs) <laughs> whoa <laughs> sandwiched in between these two people because uh, even maybe they would do on that sort of release like three little headshots or whatever and so it would be like you next to these people that um you know maybe are just like those are i just there's like really established actors and so i would imagine i guess i just was having like a moment of uh like compassion and excitement on your behalf, even though we were strangers. When I saw the what the what the opening credits look like, I was like, "Oh, this is just cool," you know. Like I just I felt like I felt that from a distance. So I felt that too. Um, <laughs> very very cool. Um. So so how? What were you doing in your life right before this? Um. I was sort of. Um, I was kind of chilling. Like I was, I had, you know, several day jobs and I had been, you know, on a few little things here and there. Um, People like, uh, if you were like a really big fan of something, like I did Mr. Robot. So it's like people who are really into that, like kind of knew who I was. But even in that case, I was like, you know, a blip on the screen of, of that show. so yeah, I was like really getting into making um, like short films with friends in Brooklyn and like, you know, sort of scrounging things together and trying to do 
trying to make art and like put it out into the world. Um, and then this, you know, came and it was like a really good fit for me. And I, I mean, I was like, I want to do this very badly. Um, so, you know, it kind of, it was a, it was a great interruption to what I was doing. Is that where you are now? Are you, are you in New York? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn right now. How is it? How is it where you are? Uh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's kind of a ghost town. Um, you know, it, there hasn't been, I, I'm trying not to go out too much. Like, I think at first when this all happened, I was really like, I tried to be really like mature about it and, you know, uh, take it seriously. And then I got like pretty sad about it for a while. And then like all order went out the window. And now I'm kind of like trying to make it about the other people and like, you know, trying like not to infect anyone else or like, you know, I mean, I don't know if I have it. I don't, I don't know if I'm a carrier. Like it's, it's weird. It feels very apocalyptic right now. Um, And I, yeah, I made some masks, you know, I'm like trying to do, trying to do the thing. (laughs) You mind my asking, what what is your living situation like? Are you um, with other folks or are you solo right now? Um, I'm solo right now. And are you, are you like, just because I don't even, I don't even feel like we have any accurate news, you know? So just, this is like, as this is like, this is essentially right now the news. Um, (laughs) So um, are you at all like going on, you know, six feet apart from each other, walks with friends, that kind of stuff? Or are you like, I am staying home? Um, Like, what is the vibe where you are? I am mostly FaceTiming. I like, yeah. I go on a walk. I don't have anyone who lives in my neighborhood mm-hmm. um, that I'm like very close with. So I like go for like, I try and get out like once a day, maybe even if I'm just like sitting on my stoop. Um, but no, I haven't done, I haven't done a social distance walk. I also have not. And I, um, am, I, I mean, I do live with my girlfriend. Um, but it's been interesting to like hear about some other folks experiences because I think especially like for my friends who live solo, I just think this is like a really wild time. It is also a really wild time um, in terms of like trying to deal with loneliness while also having someone in the household. Cause it's not like somebody in the household prevents loneliness. Like one human doesn't catch all of our needs. So it's like, I don't know what is, um, a stranger experience to feel like incredibly lonely and cut off. And then you're like staring at someone's face or to be, inc- I don't even know if you feel incredibly lonely and cut off. How do you feel? Um, I, I go back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, complicated things. So there's not really like a, there's not like a one, one way that I'm feeling about it. But for, I know that like when I make it about, like when I'm not like wallowing around in self pity and I make, and I remember that like, I have one sister who um, works, you know, with, she does CAT scans. She works in a hospital. And then I have another sister who's like quarantined with two children under five, you know? So like when I remember that there's like, that I'm really lucky to be alone and to have my own space and like, 
to not have to be on the front line in that way. Um, so I'm trying to remember that. <laughs> sure. But it's also really easy to like, you know, just sit around and feel shitty and like, I don't know, get high all day and, you know, be like a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, <laughs> I'm taking it day by day. I feel like I have like one day on the couch and then one day at the desk and like I kind of go back and forth, you know? Your siblings, um, do they live near near you or, or where are you from originally? Um, I'm sort of from all over the tri-state around New York City. Um, so I have one sister in Stamford, Connecticut and then one sister in Brewster, New York. When you moved to New York city, was that a, um, I'm going to make it as an actor move or did you, did you do other jobs there? No, I, um, I got accepted to college, um, in Chelsea, FIT, the fashion Institute of technology. Um, and so I went there for like a semester and then I started my second semester you know, this was the last time that I lived alone, actually. <laughs> it's my second semester. And I fully went crazy and dropped out. <laughs> and oh, like, sure. <laughs> so hopefully things are different now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I like, I did, I dropped out and I got a job and I was working in, um, in like painting and fabric painting and costumes and fashion and that sort of thing so hang on a second i think we need to go back a step which is um you thought you wanted to be a designer or what did you when you went to fit what was the what was the like vague goal just work in fashion yeah i think i mean i got accepted as a designer that was what i was studying but i think i just really loved like the sculptural kind of like I don't know, the puzzle of putting a garment together and like the shapes and how they, you know, how they fit. Um, It's sort of like a, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. So um, that was always exciting to me. And then I think I did want to design, but it was mostly like, it was mostly like designing for a character. So it was really more of a costume thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like always kind of came from trying to establish a character so it it kind of to me leads into the acting thing were you also dressing yourself at the time like were you were you wearing stuff of your own design i mean yeah within reason i've always been like a somebody who alters their clothing and like you know cuts the stuff and paints and like you know i've so in a way but it's not like i was like this is one of my original designs, you know? Well, like- <laughs> I actually, I asked because, um, you know, you're, you're talking about like, create, like fashion as a way to create character and then you end up being an actor. So I'm wondering if um, you were creating your own ca- character through the clothing that you were wearing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think like certainly when I would design, you know, in those first few semesters, you design a collection, you design, um, you know, you kind of come up with who your client is and all of that. And you really sort of try to find yourself as a designer. And I 
struggled with that because I was always like, well, this collection is for like a glamorous person. And then this collection is for like a completely different character. Um, so I think there was always characters in my work, but I also think like the whole fashion character presentation, like thing kind of lends itself to the trans experience in a way, because it's always about like dressing someone else until you can dress yourself, you know? Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, that, that is, a, that is a, that sure. I mean, I was even thinking about it, like, as it relates to all, all representations of queerness, because so much of, I was just, I just was, you know, people have been doing that, like, when I was 20 thing on Twitter, um, and they're t- posting a photograph of themselves when they were 20. I think you might be a very young person, so potentially 20 was recently for you. Um, but uh, I couldn't find a picture of this, but when I was 20, I was like in college and I was trying to figure out how to dress myself with an evolving understanding of queerness. And like, there are these pictures of me when I'm a little kid and I kind of look almost exactly like I look now, but then there was like this sort of strange stage where I was trying to wear like a bunch of weird skirts <laughs> you know, I don't know. And anyway, so when I was in college, I was trying to figure out like what to do. And I bought a bunch of um, plain t-shirts and then I bought those like iron on letters from a craft shop or whatever. And I um, would just make shirts that just said cam. Like that's what I would wear is shirts that said cam, just a, t- a t-shirt with my own name on it was what I wore all the time. And um I was having a really hard time with my family at the time, specifically with my parents. And my parents and my sisters showed up to my graduation wearing shirts that they had made that said Cam's fam. Oh my which God. was incredibly cute, right? It's an incredibly cute story. Amazing. <laughs> um, you know, but I think about that in like a lot of the times when I look back at, especially in college times, because that's that was those were coming out finding footing times if i'm like why was i doing this usually the answer was like evolving understanding of my identity you know like it's like why was i making those shirts and it's like because i didn't maybe know anything else about myself besides like well this is definitely my name like like i like i still i still feel that this is my name that's that's it for me but i really can say like i think that's what i want to lead with um (laughs) <laughs> say it again as much i got yeah exactly like i think it's this you know um i mean i will tell you that like when i first was transitioning and i was working in this art studio i i think i still have um all of these like stencil letters in here somewhere but um i used to stencil she her onto white t-shirts um and like it was like this you know, I thought I was very like, I don't know, punk rock and cutting edge and was like, oh, like, you know. What oh. what time frame would this have been when you've been doing this? Like, Let's give see. me a vague year. I graduated high school in 2011. So I would say like 2013, 14. I mean, that is actually punk rock. Like, it's funny because I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I think that is still a statement you know, but in 2013, that's such a different statement 
than it would be um, today because we're 2013 is like sort of the uh, whatever front lines of pronouns coming to the forefront in general culture, like not in queer culture. So I'm imagining that you probably were ruffling some like feathers and and creating some pearl grasping with your she her yeah uh, t-shirts i hope so yeah i, I mean so that seems right that's <laughs> so you would um put that shirt on and what were you hoping what what were you hoping for like as you're walking through the world at that moment can you remember what maybe you were trying to yeah um, um, I think for me, like, I have always really been hung up on, like, getting misgendered. And so when I was wearing that shirt, or, you know, now I have, like, you know, girls have, like, nameplate necklaces. Sure, I've heard of Carrie Bradshaw. Yes. yes. (laughs) Um, I have, like, a pronoun necklace that I love to wear still, um, even now. And, like... I don't know. It just sort of felt like probably similarly to Cam, it like felt like this is, I got this much. Like I, mm-hmm. you need to know this about me, you know, like this needs to walk into the room with me right now. Um, if you want to get to know me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and you said this is still something that's with you now. Um, is that, are you still, I guess, you know, what is, what is your, how often is this happening these days, being misgendered? Like, is this still something that's happening to you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it still happens a lot. Um, yeah. What sort of situations? Like, if you don't mind my asking, is it like a work situation? Is it like a on the street situation? Where, where might this be happening? both um you know i think it's it's just sort of a life situation for me like Mm -hmm. sometimes all either i mean there's two you know there's two ways that it happens for me it's like there's either people who do it unintentionally or there's people who do it to like hurt you um and you know i know that when it's unintentional, sometimes it's like an honest mistake or like a flub of speaking. And then sometimes it's coming from a place of ignorance or whatever. But, um, but you know, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's sort of a part of life. Yeah. Right. I mean, I do know, um, I certainly will say in, in my own life, I can always tell somebody's intention. <laughs> um, when, yeah. <laughs> um, when they are, I had this experience um, a bunch of years ago. I was like, I was flying Southwest, and you know, it's that nightmare situation before you're about to get on a Southwest flight, where for some reason they have decided to make boarding a plane more stressful, and everybody has to like queue up in the order of their numbers, and so it just makes everything like a thunderdome like everybody's very upset with each other and um i happened to have because i was like so on the ball about signing into my flight i think i had i think i had secured like a1 which is like the 
like it's like the number now you have to pay for that but at the time i think it's just like how much of a dork are you like did you set an alarm the day before to sign on like at exactly 24 hours before the flight and i had so there you go um (laughs) (laughs) anyway i was so i was i there were uh there was this couple um that i think had you know like a three and four and i went and stood in front of them because like technically that's actually where i'm supposed to go um and they got really upset with me the guy was like hitting me with his backpack he was um like getting closer and closer and closer to me physically you know he was just like uh menacing me and then i asked him if he could like please back up and he was like but you cut in front of us and i said i don't I don't think I actually cut in front of you. I think like, this is just how this is supposed to work. Um, and he said, okay, sir. And like the, the, um, the look in his eyes was so specific and I was about to board. It was like literally as I was about to board and, uh, he and his wife got on the plane and then I mean, we're a like one, three, and four. They could have sat anywhere. All every seat in the entire plane is open, and they sat uh, next to me. Um, and I got the attention of like the one flight attendant who was already on the plane, and I said, "Like a thing is happening right now, based on my like sexuality and gender." And I just so happened to get a flight attendant who then literally they stopped boarding um and like a representative from southwest got on the plane and asked this couple to move to other seats i mean i think i i I think just because like the way that they were acting i think honestly i probably could have like been like i don't want to fly with them they shouldn't be on the plane um Mm -hmm. but that's not what i was trying to do but i just say it's like it was such a wild experience because then okay so these people got resat and then the flight attendant um, was like, by the way, I love your stuff. And so she's just a queer flight attendant who happened to know who I was, who happened to believe me. And yeah. I just feel like it's like the, the, um, you know, when these situations like this happen, so many things need to go right in order for the moment to be de- de-escalated. Like how many flight attendants at Southwest on that particular plane were fans of mine. I probably this one flight attendant, you know what I mean? Or like in that whole airport, but like, I just happened to bring it up to her and, um, and it made the difference in like my safety, you know, just that somebody's like aware of my work made a difference in my safety. And, um, also you advocated for yourself in that moment, you know, that's right. Eve. Yeah. I also advocated for myself in that moment. Well, I guess I, I, that's kind of why I bring it all up is because it's like, it's never confusing what's going on for me. But I don't know what your experience is. Like, do you find yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it, it gets confusing, you know? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not very good at advocating for myself all the time. It's something that I'm like learning how to do more and more. Um, and I learned a lot about it on this job. Um, but I'm still like sort of like flabbergasted whenever like 
people believe me or like when people like understand that it's an issue. I'm so used to being like, this thing is happening. And, you know, in my life, it's like teachers, parental figures, friends, you know, haven't always responded or listened or, you know, done anything about it. So it's like to be in this world where like all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm a leading lady and people are like listening to me and people are like, want me to advocate for myself. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) I am so not used to this, you know? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Can you give me... And and it's, you know, it's okay if it's like, too specific, but I'd love to hear an example of how you advocated for yourself as a part of this project. I think that would be really helpful for listeners. Well, actually, um, I would, you know, I was misgendered on set um, and, you know, it it happened in several different incidents and uh, in one incident um, when it happened you know, when I finally like spoke up about it, when I was like, okay, they told me to advocate for myself. And I met with the people at GLAD before I got here and they told me to advocate for myself. And my dad told me to advocate for myself and my friends told me to. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna advocate for myself. And so I did it. And, um, and like, you know, they took it really seriously. And like, at one point, it was like this extra, it was like a thing that happened with an extra. And like at one point, the showrunner and I were going through footage and he was like, if you see this extra, point him out and he will never be back on set. And then I was just like, okay, this is like, you know what? It's like you hire whoever. And like, if it happens again in the moment, we can, we can figure it out. But, you know, in that particular instance, it was days later or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you when you said you met with Glad before, this is all like super interesting to me. So you if 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 it's cool to continue going down this path, what did when you met with Glad? What was that conversation like, and how did that come about? Um, I met with um, a man called Nick Adams at Glad, um, and he is sort of the like trans representative for media, um, and he. Uh, we had a phone call. We didn't meet. Um, but he pretty much was like, you know, I, I guess he had been working with Jason a little bit before, um, before they cast me or they had had a few conversations. 
And so he pretty much just contacted me and was like, hey, I'm an ally for you if something happens and you don't feel comfortable talking to the showrunner, talking to whoever's in charge, you know, you can talk to me. Or, you know, if you need to know how to handle something, you could talk to me. If you, you know, pretty much he was like, we want to make it so that you can show up and do your job and like any bullshit that you may run into, um, you know, we will handle for you if you want. Wow. That's interesting to me because, so, so, um, you're talking about, uh, show creator or like co-create, see the co-creator or the creator? Jason is the creator. And creator. And is the showrunner. And you star Jason Siegel is who you're talking about. And so when he created the show, was this, um, was this created as a role for a trans woman or, w- or was it cast blind of that? No, it was, it was created for a trans woman. And then he um, went or, and, and then he went and like, I mean, that's actually super interesting to me um, because I would like, I would say if you, I mean, cool, rad, you know, if you, cause if, if you are a cis person creating a role, I mean, it, like there's sort of two best case scenarios in terms of casting for something like this. One is it's like um, blind of somebody's gender identity and, and, and we pick uh, the actor who happens to be the best. And, and if that person is trans and that wants to become part of the story, then we add it to the story. And then the other option is that like, if it is a cisgender person creating the show and creating the role that they like reach out and get help with that and don't necessarily then um, like just read some Twitter threads and then like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> dust their hands off and feel like the boss. I think I understand this now. Yeah, I could write a role. Yeah. <laughs> so that that is really um that strikes me as very positive that somebody would you know take that extra bunch of steps that are also easy to do. The resources there it just requires the impetus. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think he has his own like um reasons for you know, why he was inspired to do that or whatever. But, um, like for me, it's just like such a, it's just like, look at the time we're living in, like that this, this guy who has, you know, otherwise no connection to the cause, so to speak, um, is interested in putting the cause on the forefront of his story. Um, And sometimes that's, you know, I think as the queer person, sometimes that's like, it's a little difficult sometimes. But um, from the moment I signed on, I was just like so blown away by how fleshed out the role was and how, how much I identified with the role and how the role kind of like seemed to articulate and understand things about my experience that even I wasn't articulating, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's really good to hear. (laughs) And also, um, I think that it's, this conversation is, feels so helpful to me because I, I so appreciate your openness because I think, you know, when you're somebody whose job involves, um, 
you know, getting your hair and makeup done and then like being a representative for a community. I think sometimes it can feel like maybe these things are no longer part of your life, you know, to somebody outside of this experience. But instead, um, you know, you and I get to have a conversation where maybe in your speaking about this openly, folks could realize like it's, hey, these things don't necessarily go away. And um, I think in my, like, in my experience, I'm like always waiting for something to go away. You know, like I'm waiting for like, oh, like when this stops happening, I'm going to be, you know, like I'm going to be good or like whatever. Mm. But lately it's been more about like, okay, like, in the now, when this stuff is still happening, like, how do I figure out a way to be, like, happy and, you know, how to participate in life, you know? Yeah. And when you said that you brought it up on set, you know, can you talk me through, like, how that felt and what you, and what you specifically did? I just feel like that's, like, these are the things that are, you know, this stuff is hard. I I will just say I this is like such a smaller thing but like and and again like it's not I don't I actually identify as cisgendered but I the opportunity to be patrolled for our um <laughs> for our gender is um something that I think a lot of cisgender folks in the queer community could like really use as a compassionate link to our trans family members you know Mm -hmm. like that is like that is we we understand that you know i mean at least i do and so like that compassionate link that brings us all together i was and i just i also talked about this on the podcast last week so like i hope it makes sense why it like struck me so much but i posted like a, a a couple photos of myself on just the internet and i and i said that i using the label butch to talk about myself. And many people um, wanted to tell me that that was like an inappropriate label for me to use for myself, which I felt, and I know this might sound wild, I felt genuinely shocked by because my whole life has been getting information um, that like I am, you know, too masculine for so many spaces. And then here's like my community and I, obviously it's not like the first time I've ever heard this, but just that people were so openly and it's like attached to their name and and picture, you know, right. like the people had no shame, just like coming out and being like, actually like straight up, this is not who you are to me. And I felt like, wow, that is like, it, it, it hurt my feelings, you know? It's like, we're in this weird age of like the over identifier. So it's like, I mean, I just, I don't understand the policing of identities very much. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I think that like, you know, if, if somebody really strongly identifies as a butch and then they see somebody who's like saying they're butch, but they're not like identifying, like when it's not like the label, when it's just like today I'm dressed pretty butch or whatever. I mean, I don't, I, I I hear what you're saying. I, I don't I do hear what you're saying. Yeah. I mean I guess I um I mean I don't work I don't do manual labor. <laughs> yeah. So if that's like if that's really the obstacle for somebody that like 
works on cars every day from the morning they wake up till when they go to sleep. Um, just, you know, I would guess my only request would be teach me about cars because I don't know shit about that. So that's really the <laughs> obstacle there. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you, you know, if, if like what it actually looks like just to get back to that, like, like maybe what kind of wording you would use or how you would, if you are advocating for yourself, like what that looked like in any specific terms that you'd feel you wanted to share. Like, what does one say? I honestly don't really remember because it was, <laughs> it was like episode might have been episode two or something I'm not sure but um I remember like texting I mean first of all this is this is something that I think a lot of people deal with like when at work you have to say I'm being treated unfairly like women you know I mean it, this is this is an important thing to like learn how to do. Um, but I just remember like texting Mark Friedman, the showrunner, being like, hey, I gotta talk to you. Actually, you know what I did? I I did the queer council thing where you call and and powwow with your your family, your queer family, and you say, What the fuck do I do about this? And I let them convince me to go to Mark. And then I went to Mark. And then, like, we talked about it a little bit, and then it was kind of over, you know? I mean, I wasn't expecting, like, some big, you know, like, newsletter or anything like that. Um, but but it, it did stop, and, you know, they handled it really, really well. I think maybe there was, like, a... I, I really don't remember. It was also a weird thing for them, because they're, you know straight people are not used to this all the time. Like misgendering, what the, what is that? Like, you know, um, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, wow, I'm like making a big deal because somebody left an S off of a, you know, a word, you know? Um, so I feel like I'm kind of being foolish in this. Um, I don't know, respect is important and words are important and Yeah, I I hear you. I mean, the other thing that is true is you are actually in a position of power on that set being an actor. I mean, you're you're also there are also ways in which you're not in a position of power, you know, where you're at the where the showrunner is actually the boss and then the network is ahead of that. But I think that another thing that is true for so many of us in a work situation and a lot of people that, you know, don't work in Hollywood is like we often find ourselves like maybe not necessarily the most powerful person in the room, but we have this much power. And so then there's somebody that might be on set and like um, people leave the S off of the word, but they don't have the showrunner's phone number to text, you yeah. know? And because you, yeah. know, you are sort of that stopgap. Right. And I should preface this, like this has happened to me on every single professional set that I have ever walked on. And that includes, I mean, a lot of my career, I am like the one queer person in a scene of non-queer people. But even in the cases where I am one of many, many queer people on the set, this happens to me. Um, and, you know, for the most part, I've ignored it because I haven't had the power to speak up. Um, and that's why this job was sort of like a, a marvelous revelation um, in that. But I think... 
like the thing you're saying about like, you're not the most powerful, like you have to go to the next most powerful person or, you know, maybe skip a few. But in my case on dispatches, it was like, I was so lucky that the most powerful people were like, like knew what to do, knew how to handle it and like listened and like, you know, kind of like you with the flight attendant. It's like, yeah. Well, and I, I, that's, it's, it is like, right. So the thing happens again and again, and then, um, and then you reach a point maybe potentially depending on the person's situation where, okay, I have this much power. So now I can say something about it. That's also, I think always a really interesting factor when we hear people sort of talking about like, like why speak up? It's literally like, 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 God, you know, you're really like uh, rocking the boat with this, like speaking up. It's like, that's a very funny thing to me about like when we're talking about a politician's history with women or something like that. And it's like, can you believe we're hearing these stories? And it's like, how many times did did that have to happen to that person before they like spoke up the one time? Or how many people did that happen to that didn't say a goddamn word? Or how many times has this happened to you that you were like, well, I'm actually the extra today. So today I just have to like sign out and go home because that's how I'm going to, you know. Right, right. Pay my rent. Right, yeah. And also like when you, I mean, I think also when you are an extra or a recurring role or a guest star or whatever, it's like, I'm just here for six hours. Like, I don't got to like you. I don't got to. Mm-hmm you know, it's fine. And then like when you're with a production for six months or five months or whatever it was, it's like, um, I should be able to, you know, I'm already showing up with four powerhouse established award-winning <laughs> people. Who are all, Andre 3000 is a castmate. <laughs> who are all like, you know, way higher up on the proverbial totem pole than me in any way that you want to spin it, you know, like it was just like, I don't know. I was like, I guess I deserve to at least be referred to by the proper pronoun. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, you do. That is right. You do. You, I, I agree with you. I think you're, I think you're right. And I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry, I didn't realize how much we would be talking about this. <laughs> no, I mean, I asked you about it a bunch, but I sometimes I feel like it's... First of all, the show is, like, beautiful and so weird. What a weird and really interesting and cool show. So beautiful and so strange. Yeah, it's like I, uh, you know, I've never really been able to be this proud of something like I actually like the show if I weren't on it I think I might be watching it you know like (laughs) yeah it's really beautiful and captivating like it's beautifully shot and it's also super interesting and um so that's great that you're proud of it but I I think that sometimes when I when I do interviews for this for this show it's like um you're a public person you have this great show going on but I'm kind of more interested in the stuff that might um resonate for somebody who like doesn't work in our industry or um isn't going to be uh talking necessarily about 
life on set, but maybe just life having a job. Yeah. And a lot of what we talked about, I think is such a big part of all of it. So, um, do you feel like, I just kind of, I guess I want to go back to that like place that we started where you were talking about the feeling of when you walked on set for the first time. And do you feel in your life, um, any sort of relaxation around queer stuff or I mean not queer stuff around career stuff given getting this role like what is the emotional resonance of getting something that feels that different for you or like that much of a marker for you um uh it's exciting I mean I think there's like I think there's like a lot of pressure um to keep going you know like I've been dirt broke so many times and stayed on so many couches and you know like I don't know I just don't I think that there's a pressure to like maintain and um and I think you know especially with the fucking coronavirus everybody right now is like What's going to happen to my finances? What's going to happen to my career? What's going to, you know, like, there's so much uncertainty. Um, like, we don't even know how long we're going to be in this for. Like, it's it's a wild, it's a wild time. So, um, so I don't know. I'm not, there's no relaxation. I'll tell you that. Like, I, <laughs> I'm just as anxious and nervous as I've ever been. Um, <laughs> only now I, like, can afford to like sit in quarantine and not have to work eight jobs, you know? So I'm really lucky that this happened now and not a year ago. Um, <laughs> what were you, what were your side gigs a year ago? What were you oh, doing? so many like nannying and serving subpoenas and um, serving subpoenas honestly feels like not what I was expecting. You said that very, nonchalant but i i do have to point out that was a curveball nannying i was like classic serving subpoenas just a tiny detour left turn yeah Um, (laughs) yeah well you know a lot of the gigs had left turns um sure dog walking dog sitting dog bathing you know (laughs) there's been so many things i've passed out flyers on the street i've done a little bit of retail I've assisted artists, which is always like, there's some stories there. <laughs> oh, um, yeah? Um, yeah, you know, I just, I think it's nice to have a lot of skills that you, you know, can can bring to the table. I don't know. I, I am very happy that I've been able to support myself actressing for, you know, for this time. I, I I really relate to all of those jobs that you just listed. I too um, have a background in nannying, um, but I also have a background as a law clerk. So I didn't serve subpoenas, but I would sometimes. It's like a it's like a a part of a lawsuit, and you have to go t- deliver it to federal court. But you're me, and you just were like doing some sort of stand up gig last night. But then you're like going to federal court. That's a job I had. I also, much like your passing out flyers job, I did the thing of, 
you know, the person it's like a brand new granola bar is on the scene. And so there's going to be like people wearing like a branded granola bar t-shirt while also like standing with someone who's dressed as a granola bar. And then they hand you a granola bar. I have done that job. All parts of it. I've done the handing of the bar. I've also done the being inside the granola bar suit. So uh, dream come true. (laughs) Your parents were probably very proud of that one. You know, I I think that I didn't necessarily, I think I was mostly speaking about my burgeoning stand-up career at the time. So I don't know how much they were um, like really getting the feedback of what was paying the bills, which was, you know, one time for Sprite had a new drink out that was called Agent Orange. Great idea, guys. Great idea. Um, it was an orange flavored drink that came out with the Get Smart movie that Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway made. And to, you, so to promote that movie um, and in concert with Sprite, myself and a few other uh, actors were would stage public kidnappings um, where like a person would be walking around dressed as an agent, a white van would pull up that we would be inside of. We would go take the person dressed as an agent and drag them into the van while kicking and screaming, then shut the van door, drive like half a block down. Everybody is like, what the fuck just happened? Then we back up, open the doors and give everybody a Sprite. <laughs> That would never happen today. I agree. (laughs) Never, ever, ever happen today. As a follow-up, can you believe that ever happened? But it did. (laughs) Wow. Oh, Eve, I um, I want to send you back into your day. Uh, pretty soon, I want to ask you uh, to shout out a queero which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today? Uh, this is hard. Does it have to be a queer person? No. It could be a choose-your-own-adventure. You know, I, like, does it have to be a real person? <laughs> no. No. This, is, this can be yours. <laughs> I think I who will I name? Jesus. Oh. Uh have you ever seen um Little Shop of Horrors? <laughs> this is humiliating because I do love musicals, but um the answer is no. What? I know. I don't I don't mean to I didn't mean to unveil that whatever it is, 52 minutes in. Do you want to cancel the interview? Yes, we have to. We have okay. to. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I'll trash this. I'll drag it right to the trash. I didn't mean to humiliate myself like this in front of you. Wow, it's so good. I know. I don't know. I've never seen it. It's so good. It is very much a, like, my favorite thing to do is to take a storyline that I know and love and to be like, that's a queer storyline, Mama. Like, I know nobody knew this, but, like, that character is a queer woman going through life. Or, like, that character is this. And in the context of Little Shop of Horrors, actually the role was recently played by a trans woman named MJ Rodriguez in like Pasadena, I think. But there's this role, Audrey. And the plant. He, what? The plant? Yeah, the plant is Audrey too. Oh, I well, yes. I would know this if I'd seen it. Yes, maybe, maybe you shouldn't talk about things that you don't understand. Oh, shoot! <laughs> um, no, so 
the plant is named after this girl, Audrey, that the main character is like in love with. And she's sort of like, I think she was written initially as like the quintessential bombshell, like very Marilyn, very Goldie Hawn, you know, all of that. But the woman who played her is this woman named Ellen Green, who is like the oddest woman in the world. And she like plays this bombshell, this like tardy, you know, first of all, I love the like town floozy archetype because it's always like this woman who like the storyline is always that she's hiding some incredible talent or some incredible intelligence or like some emotional depth. Or Um, the baby Jesus. Or the baby Jesus. You know, she got pregnant outside of wedlock, but look what happened. That's the original town floozy. <laughs> the original. I mean, also could be Mary Magdalene. Like the two of them, it's either way, it's a Mary. There are a lot of floozies. Oh, uh, actually, Eve. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> that's, I'm named after the original floozy. <laughs> um, she was the original rebel, though. She just wanted to know everything. and like, That's break. right. But in any event, this character Audrey is played by Ellen Green and she's just so weird and so emotionally full and like all of her I don't know I remember as a kid thinking like I've never seen a woman it in anything be like this beautiful and this odd and this weird and this lovable and like and she gets the guy you know like so I don't know that there was something about that that like made me really okay with being like a little bit of a you know left of center kind of gal (laughs) well this is an amazing recommendation and then also you adding that mj rodriguez recently played this role and obviously that's a very talented person so you know humiliation upon humiliation i face today yes you need to go watch this now like all right fine yeah okay so good. It's yeah. so, it holds up. It's from the 80s. Everyone is in it. Everyone is in it. Go I ahead. do know. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, it's no problem. I can do this for you. I promise. You uh, in my desk uh, on how you felt about watching this movie uh, by Monday morning. Please. Yeah, no problem. I will absolutely turn this in. Um, and I'm so sorry. Uh, but this was a, this was a great chat. Thank you so much for your time, Eve. I I really um, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you.